If you would please turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The second message in here and I haven't gotten into the subpoint yet. Bummer. We're looking at a text that begins in verse 2 and goes through verse 16. Entitled this section, God's Design. God's Design. Um, I'm going to read, uh, if you would please follow, 2 through 16. And then we'll ask the Lord to open our hearts. I think we just sang it. Let us bow our hearts. Let us bend our knees. And let us seek his face. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and you hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is in the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is, her, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Father, we come now to hear from you. We come now to seek your ways, your purposes, your will. Father, I pray that your spirit and your people will open our hearts to this wondrous text. That, Father, we will rejoice in these words and we'll be thankful for these words. That, Father, we understand the privilege of these words. And that, Father, your word would find such fertile and deep root, fertile soil and deep root. And, Lord, there would be an abundance of fruit bearing. Pruning, yes, Father. Prune us. Humble us. But Father, use us. Pour us out as drink offerings. To you and you alone, in Christ's name, amen. You know, I've been telling you over the, for a time now, that this book has to do with personal holiness. Okay? It sets a stage for 2 Corinthians, which is ministry. And if you don't have personal holiness, um, you don't have to worry about ministering. I mean, you can be busy, but, I mean, to deal with the eternals, to have eternal fruit. But I thought of a new word this week, okay, instead of personal holiness. I was thinking practical holiness. What do you think? That's pretty good? Practical holiness. How does holiness look practically? Okay? Uh, we sometimes have in our minds what we perceive holiness is. And we've looked at this book now for a time, and we see that if there's divisions and schisms, and we're not kind of on the same page in the mind, same mindset, 
That's not holy. It shows disunity. It shows something that God is against. And we've seen that we have personalities that we will attach ourselves to instead of the person of Christ and His measures. And, and we could, you can just take that whole book up to where we're at right now. I mean, even to the point of offer, uh, meat offered to idols. Should I eat that meat? Well, if it causes your brother to stumble, practically speaking, in your holiness... Paul says, I would never, ever eat meat again. Am I willing to set aside my freedoms for the sake of a weaker brother? And we've looked at this. And in chapter 10, he looked at it and he says, you know, I don't want you to be unaware because Israel was given as an example to us. Israel was a set-apart nation. They were a nation that God said, this nation has no ability in and of itself to accomplish anything. My divine intervention, I have reached in, snatched them out, and I've set them apart as a nation completely unique to the world. And yet, in their futility, in their grumbling, in their immorality, in their trying to, pers- uh, to understand it in their own perspective, their own ways, God said that that generation that was in the wilderness was lost, was never useful to God. Okay? That's sort of what we're looking at. So there's a practical holiness here. All right? When I deal with this text, beginning there in verse 3, 2 through um, 16, this role of the women and role of men and how it all lays out. Um, I am constantly reminded almost daily that there is a huge contingent of humanity who believe that the Apostle Paul got on this subject because he had some kind of bad relationship with women. Perhaps it was his mother, perhaps he had a wife who left him because he became a Christian and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da down the line. If you have that mindset, then know this from this pulpit at this moment. You have just made yourself editor-in-chief of God's holy word. And I'll let you work that out with him when you see him. Okay? That is blasphemous. Okay? Is he dealing with a specific problem? Yes. Is he dealing with it at a specific time? Yes. Is he dealing with it at a specific church and specific location? Yes, he is. Absolutely. Is this a cultural thing? Absolutely. Okay? But I can also tell you this. It is also absolutely an eternal truth. This truth will carry along forever. Okay? Let's be realistic about it. Our dress, meaning the clothes we wear, are cultural. People who will tell you that this text is dealing with a cultural issue, it's true. It's true. Absolutely true. I agree with that 100%. Why? How many suits did Paul preach in? How many neckties did Paul own? It's cultural. Absolutely. The women of the culture that he's writing to here in Corinth would have been veiled. That's the room. Don't go with covering. Don't go with hat. I've heard people say, well, it's a hat. No, it's a veil. Go look at the Greek and it says it's a veil. It's not a scarf. It's a veil. All right. Please understand it. It hasn't got, well, the man was wearing a derby or a fedora. No. All right. Listen, early in our generation, men wore hats. They wore hats to church. They had really nice dress hats. Okay. Then it disappeared, didn't it? Okay. But now men are starting to do what again? Wear hats. Uh, They don't like to put the bill pointed in the right direction, but they're wearing hats again, aren't they? Uh, you just you see a lot of them who are wearing hats. So I want you to understand that is there a cultural aspect to this? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's more here than whether a woman's wearing a veil or not. Okay, there's an amazing truth here. Uh, and that's where we're going to move in today. I also want you to remember this about the church in Corinth. Because the church in Corinth is very much like the church in America today. <coughs> Okay, very, very, very much like the church in America today. The Corinthians were coming into salvation and were being 
baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. And what was happening was they were bringing all of their worldviews in and trying to make them mesh with the things of God. Okay, so please remember that. Please remember that. All right? And yet, we are in a culture today. You and I are in a culture today. And there are things in this culture that dictate to us how we are to be and how we are not to be. All right? God has given a certain style of life that will radiate a believable testimony. Let me say that again. God has given a certain style of life that is going to radiate a believable testimony. Okay? Um, What you will find out in your life as a child of God is that that lifestyle in which I live will speak way louder than anything I say or do. Do you hear what I said? The lifestyle that I live will speak way louder than anything that I can say. Okay? You can preach truth, but your lifestyle will also be an issue. Be an issue. What was happening in the church in Corinth was that. What is your lifestyle saying? And I laid this foundation last week that God in His creation, when He made designed all that exists today, He designed it on two basic foundational pillars. Okay? The pillars are this. One is a pillar of authority. One is a pillar of submission. It's in throughout creation. It's throughout creation. Um... And how do I take the pillar of authority and the pillar of submission and how does that look in my lifestyle? How does that look in my work environment, in my home? How does it look in my time gathered as a congregation of believers? All right. And I want to just touch on this again. In verse 2, he says, I praise you. I like that. Up until this point, he has not praised them. Okay, he's basically took off and says, you know what, I I guess you you could say you are church and you are lacking in no gift Uh, in chapter one. Yeah, that's kind of a praise. That's as close as you're going to get that in this phrase here. Why? Well, let's be realistic about it. You've heard me use this illustration before. People will come in and say, first and foremost, Terry, I want you to know that I love you. Okay, as I prepare to cut your heart out with a spoon. Okay. But I do love you, right? Whenever you're getting ready to approach something that's going to be a little controversial, don't you give a praise in the beginning? Huh? So is Paul. <laughs> Why? Because Paul says, I want to praise you because I'm getting ready to give you five more chapters and just blast you. <laughs> Why? All right? You know, and I've already given you ten. And, and, and I know you ain't having a whole lot of fun because you know there's a pastor who's reading this to the congregation. I have a letter from Paul. And here's what he says. And the church is probably going, gee, many crickets. Okay. And then he gets to chapter 11 and he says, but I want to praise you. And you think, oh, good. (laughs) Golly, this was getting awful. Why do I want to praise you? Because you remember me and everything. And you hold firmly to the traditions, the teachings, what you've seen and heard and received in me. Just as I delivered him to you. You know what I like about that? He's basically saying, church in Corinth, in spite of all your issues, you're teachable. You're teachable. I praise you that you're receiving this. I praise that you ask the questions. Okay? It's a difficult subject. I want to be nice about it as I start it because I'm getting ready to hand you your lunch again for five more chapters. Okay, but I do praise you because you are teachable. Okay, so I lay that out and then we're going to look at verse 3 today. And he says this, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and man is the head of a woman and God is to be head of, is, is the head of Christ. Okay, that is what I call the design is stated. God says, I have a design. This, I, I'm about to explode. Because this text 
people have accused me of, of, uh, of uh, too much excitement, too much passion at times. That, that you just, you just, you, you feel like you're yelling at me. You know what? Sometimes you need to be yelled at. Why? Because sometimes God yells at me. I told you to yell at him and you didn't. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> but in here, in this text, in that verse right there, okay, you're going to find out why I get sort of on nitrous oxide. Okay? It's in this text. All right? And I'll show it to you here. But I want you to think about this because he says this statement he lays out here in verse 3, he literally covers everything and the rest of it, he's explaining it. Okay, that's why I gave you applied, defended, harmonized, and responded to. All right, but I mean, he literally says this is the truth and from here on, I'll explain the truth to you. Okay. He starts out with this phrase, I want you to understand. That's New American Standard Translation. He says, I want you to understand this. I would have you know this. He uses it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, I wish you would know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. In Colossae, he had never been there. Okay, but he wanted them to understand the struggle that he had for the church in Colossae. All right, so he uses this. He says, "I want you to grab this. I want you to understand this." He uses a, a phrase similar to this at times in Scripture, but he uses it in a format that says, "I I do not want you to be ignorant of this." Okay, which means they're supposed to remember this. Okay, here he's reiterating something. This is something I want you to understand. I want to further in telling some more about what I've already told you. I've already spoken this to you. You already know this. But I need to make this as simplistic and yet explained as I can. Okay? Here's what I see in the church in Corinth. And here's what I see in the church in America today. We have a problem. We don't understand. Okay? Use this phrase. I want you to understand. We in the church in America, as the church in Corinth, we had this thing that we did not understand. You know what it is? Your Christian life affects your entire life. It isn't the hour on Sunday that is affected by my Christian life. It isn't the Bible study or my small group or whatever it is that I'm into. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to understand your Christian life. I want you to know. Okay, look, you've you got to get a hold of something here. He hasn't come off of the topic or the underlying theme of your freedom. He hasn't changed. Why? I want you to be an imitator of me as I am also of Christ. He hasn't come off of that. We put a chapter 11 in there. Paul didn't. So he's still dealing with your freedom. So if I have this freedom, the question I have to ask you today, who's in charge? Well, wait a minute. There's nobody in charge because I am free. Apostle Paul says, uh-uh. Uh-uh. And that you, that's one of the beauties of this. He says, I want you to know this. He says, I want you to know who is the head of every man. I want you to know who is the head of every woman. I want you to know who is the head of Christ. Why? I want you to know what God's design is. And God's design says there is authority and there is submission. You're supposed to know this already. That's the principle. It's right there. Head. Head. You know what the word head means? Who is the Lord of this? Who is the authority of this? Who is the, in secular Greek, who is the governor of this? All right? So when you're coming out of freedom, and I shared with you, Corinth was a set up city, a Roman city, that the Roman government had given plots to freemen, men who had come out of Roman slavery, and they were given, here, you can have this little plot of land in Corinth. And so it was literally called a free city. 
Because all of these people in Corinth used to be slaves of the Roman government. So they had an issue here that says we are free. What do we do here in America? We are free. We're free to do whatever we want to do. We export our freedom even. Right? You know, we freed the the oppressive government of the women in Afghanistan. Right? We're exporting. Once men can taste, what does our president say? Freedom. Right? And we do. We are free. But do you know what? A Christian is freer than any man or woman on this planet Earth. I don't care what government you're under. But what happens with my freedom? What happens to my freedom? And that's basically what we're looking at. All of creation, in all of its existence, has a design by God that literally has a position of authority and a position of submission. Just go through, the, go through it. Look at it. You'll see it. It's all over the place. Okay? Paul is saying, I want to show you the relationship between man and man, man and God, and God and God. It's really simple, actually. And he does it so wondrously. Understand that that basic design is foundational for existence. Foundational for existence. I remember, uh, I think it was Socrates. I don't remember if it was Socrates or Plato. I'm sorry, I can't recall. Made a comment. There's only been one democracy ever existed. Okay, Uh, That was the Greek Empire. Right? We are not a democracy. We like to say that we're a democracy. We are a representative republic. Um, a democracy would say that everybody has one vote. We do. Who, how, how many people pick the president? Be careful. The Electoral College picks it. And we send a House of Representatives and they do what? Represent us and then we send senators and we still haven't figured out what they do. Okay, but they do it well because they've been there forever. But anyway, it's stuff like that. I want you to, the Greek Empire was a democracy. Okay, majority rule. All right? And one of the things that uh, I, Socrates or Plato, I don't remember, said that a democracy cannot last, cannot exist. Because at a point in a democracy, everyone will demand his own rights. And at the demanding of everyone demanding their own rights, at the conclusion of everyone demanding their own rights, all you have is anarchy. Okay? Think about it for a second. If I demand my rights and you demand your rights, I guarantee you at some point in time, your rights and my rights are going to run into each other. Okay? So God said, I will design this system, creation, and it will have authority and submission. All right? That's the essence of what we're looking at. All right? He says here, I want you to understand this newness that I am giving you. This principle on a foundational side you had a grasp of, but I want to expand it so you understand it and know what it is. But I read this and I said, what's new about this? That a wife is to be subject to her husband? That ain't new. That's Old Testament. There's nothing complicated here. There's nothing new here. What's new? You know what's new here? The expanding of it is the vastness of the scope of this principle. Okay? We, and I see it a lot, men have a big time thing going on that says a woman is to be submissive to me. Okay? That's our battle. We're going to fight that bugger. I see it all over the place. Okay? But men don't ever want to follow it any farther than that. Okay? Men, you are Right, and desiring your wife to be submissive to you. Do you understand that your wife has been given to you as a treasure from God and that your focus is to make her spotless and unblemished and holy before God? That all of her desires will radiate the joy of her union with you. Well, if you don't understand that, I'll give you this one because you will stand before a holy God and give an account how you treated that woman. 
Okay? I mean, all, we all want that submission. I want that woman submitted. Do you want the authority that goes with it? Because the authority that goes with it says, I have given you a treasure. It's a gift from me who created and sustained you. And I want you to present her holy, pure, unblemished before me. And I will hold you accountable for how you treated it and what you did with it. That's kind of a bummer. Okay? Because if you think about it, in Ephesians, it describes the union between a man and a woman as the union between Christ and His church. And He says, if you're going to do it right, here's how you're going to do it. How are you going to do it? Just like Jesus did His bride. How is that? He gave Himself up for her. What does that mean? I bought my wife horses. <laughs> Why? It makes her happy. Why? I have to stand before a holy God and say, Got her horses. <laughs> right? Right? Christ does, and this is just such an amazing stuff. There is a vastness in this principle, authority and submission, that is amazing. It's in everything. Let me, get, let me see if I can show you this. All right? He says, Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of everything. Now let me show you something here about authority and submission. Okay? I just, it's just a hypothetical here. If Christ does not submit to the Father, then redemption does not exist. Did you hear that? If Christ does not submit to the Father... Redemption does not exist. Man is lost. He's doomed forever. He is no different than a demonic angel. And God is at war with himself. God is at war with himself. If the son doesn't submit. If man does not submit to Christ, then man is lost. Destiny has been denied. Linsky said, judgment falls on that man if man does not submit to Christ. Destiny is lost. If woman does not submit to the man in the family, what happens to the family? Ask yourself. Listen, I just gave you two illustrations. If Jesus Christ does not submit to the Father, don't worry about redemption. If that's true... Women, if you don't submit to your husband, what happens? God is telling us that this is the way I designed it. Authority and submission, it's everywhere. Let's look at these. The head of every man is Christ. You know what I like about that? It's not just the church. Okay? I don't care who the man is. You know who the head of Adolf Hitler was? Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, and in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, who is Christ the head of? Every man. Okay? Now think about that for a second. The word head means he is the ruler, he is the authority, he is the Lord, he is the governor. He rules over it. Christ is over his church. He rules over his church. He is the head of it. He is the authority of it. Christ is also over every man. That's what the Bible says. Well, listen, let me ask you a question. Remember some, a couple of times I've asked you, if you see experience, and experience seems to be against truth, which one's real? Is this not a perfect example of it? If you look at man today, would you say that man, mankind, is under the authority of Christ? Then you don't believe your Bible. He is! 
If you are living human being today, you are under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Well, someone, some many don't acknowledge His rule. Still doesn't mean it ain't true. Right? Right? Matthew 28, 18. How much authority has been given to me on heaven and earth? Do we believe that? Philippians 2, 10 and 11. How many knees will bow? How many tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Alright? This goes back to the simplicity of, that I try to get it out. I get people in the church today who says, but He is my Savior and as I grow, He will be my Lord. That's a lie. He is Lord. You don't make Him Lord. You don't become a higher level Christian and now He's Lord. He is Lord. How much authority on heaven and earth is His? Are you sure? I want you to be sure. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You got to grab that. You need to lean on that. You need to be like Isaiah, full weight upon that. Why? Does he have authority? Why do we keep thinking, well, I'm trying to give him more authority in my life? What'd you just say? Well, I'm not sure I want... What? Who's going to change your heart? Well, I'm thinking about letting Jesus... I'm going to receive Jesus. You are, are you? What if He don't want to come? I, I accept Jesus. Really? Who has the authority? 1 Corinthians 15.25 He must reign till he puts his enemy under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 He's given power over all and all things are made subject to him. I love that. Why? He's not lacking. Every creature is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Period. It's non-negotiable. Some are willing to be submissive to him the church. There's some in the church who's willing to be submissive to him. But some are rebellious. But you know what? He still rules. He still rules. You've got to get a hold of that. Well, I would think that Hitler killed six million Jews. How in the world could you say he rules? He reestablished Israel, didn't he? The country had not existed since 70 AD. 1948. How many years after World War II was that? Three? And the Jews said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going back to Palestine. I don't care if the British do own it. How did he bring that all together? The Jews across the globe said, we're dead meat if we're out here by ourselves. He rules. He rules for his own end. To his own purposes, even though there is a rebellion, someday it's going to be brought under his authority and it'll be done in judgment. And yet he even uses the rebellious people this day for his glory. Okay? So who is the head over man? Christ. Christ. Let's look at B. What does that say? Who is the authority? Who is the ruler? Who is the governor? Same word. Over woman. Okay? Let me make this as clear as I can because it's not speaking of marriage. Everything. It's everything. Absolutely everything. Every dimension of living. Who's the authority over women? What does your Bible say? I got mine open. I ain't reading that part there because I'm thinking that's when Paul was mad at his mom. Okay, let me show you this. General principle. Men must recognize that God has given him the authority. He has to accept that authority. 
And he takes rule. He takes control of that authority. Why? It's for God. Why? Because God gave it as a gift. It's a purpose. It is for whose glory? 1031 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. Okay? The woman must realize in any relationship that she has been given the place of submission. In case Dane wants to put this on the website, I don't want people to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Women are to be submissive. Listen, this isn't wrong. Okay? And there are times that you read your context, it says the woman is to be submissive to her own husband. Why does he put that in there? To know the difference. When is a woman supposed to be submissive? Sundays, Mother's Day, and Father's Day. When are they supposed to be submissive? Well, that's fine. Uh, the man can be the head, but I'm the neck. <laughs> and I'm going to show the head which way it's supposed to go. Right? It isn't wrong to have this. All right? You got to understand that women, listen, I ain't here to beat you up. I'm saying God made it this way. God designed it this way. I look at it this way. I don't go play golf with a fishing pole. Right? You don't go do it. Why? Because you can't play the game designed that way. It was designed to be played with them other clubs that you can't hit nothing with. Right? And God says, if you want the most out of being a woman, if you want the most out of being a man, you will do it how I designed it. Why? You will have blessings poured on you from heaven that you can't comprehend. But you can't do it your way. That is what I call, in my word, sin. By the way, I have saved you from that. I have not pulled you out of its area, but you do have the ability to overcome which sin? All sin. God made people to do certain things. That's the way they are made. That's the way they function. That's the way they are fulfilled. C. God is the head of Christ. That's what he says. Okay? Listen, if you take the second one, man is the head of the woman, and you say, I just can't agree with that because we're equal, we are this, we are that, then what are you going to do with this one here? If you disagree with point two, then you have to disagree with point three. And point three says, God is the head of Christ. Okay? I like the way Paul did that. He put that one that would be contentious right in the middle of two phenomenal ones, didn't he? He says, if you want to agree with number two, then you have to disqualify the first and the third. And how many people would be willing to say this day that Jesus Christ was not submitted to God the Father? Paul's slick, ain't he? Smart man. Paul, I, Paul should have been a lawyer. Christ's, um, Christ so loved God the Father, he was willing to be submissive to the Father. Got that? Christ so loved the Father that he's willingly to be submissive to the Father. Listen, Jesus loved his church so much that he gave himself for her. Okay, in a sense, this church is subject to him. God so loved the Son. I mean, let's be realistic. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, if you think about it, who's the head of the woman? 
And he does it based on what Linsky calls the authority of love. The authority of love. It's agape. It says, I love unconditionally, unrestrained. You don't have to change it. You don't have to do it. And there's no qualifications. I don't love my wife because of what she will give to me. What she will do for me. That's the love. The authority that a man has over a woman is love. The authority that God has over the son is what? Love. The authority that Christ has over every man is based on love. It's um, Spirozodiades called it. It is called the rule, meaning the ruling, reigning of love. Christ was subject to the Father. He was an obedient son. He came into the world to do what? Serve his father. Serve his father. In John's gospel, in chapter 3, he mentions it. In chapter 5, he mentions it. In chapter 14, he mentions it. In chapter 17, he mentions it. I have come to do the will of Of my father. The one that I hear is my father. The one that I do and I am obedient to is my father. The one that sent me is my father. Do you get that? He was submitted to him. I am here to do the father's will. The one who speaks to me, it is my father. And he says, and I hear and that I do. I obey. I have submitted myself. Why? Because of my love. And the love of the father had I mean, in John's in the high priestly prayer of John 17, he says, Father, I have done what you called me to. Return me to the glory we had in the beginning. All right, now I want you to pick that up because what did he just say? Is there an inferiority? No, it is the role of authority and the role of submission and the underlying foundation is... Love. Unwavering, unboundaried, unfettered, un-anything love. It doesn't do it conditionally for anything. I'd love, period. Pour it out. But what if that... There's no qualifiers. There are no qualifiers. What was Jesus' restraint? None. The Father has sent me and I am here. Do we get that? Okay, ladies, how you doing? Okay, men, how are you doing? Who is the head of you? Just a question. It is not that Christ is inferior. He says, I and the Father are two. But the roles are definitely different. Why? God says, I have designed different roles. Shared with you this last week, right? People have asked me, what do you think about lady pastors? What was my response? I don't. Why? There's no such thing. Why? If I allow a lady to be a pastor, I sin. Why? I have just put her in a position she's not qualified for. She has no business in. She can't gift it for it. And she has no role in it. And I sin. Why? Who's in authority? Who's in authority? The man who would sit in a church under a woman pastor. Now I'm talking about a leader. The women who would do that are the men who would do that are sinning before a holy God because they put a woman in a role that God never designed her for. Okay? Well, that woman, no. No. Got nothing to do with the woman. Who is the authority over women? Who is the ruler over women? Who is the head over women? Who is it? Men, when the woman stumbles, whose fault is it? Ooh, I don't like that idea. Whose fault is it? Let me give you an illustration. 
Okay, I'll give you an illustration, perfect illustration. Remember, I don't care what your experience says. What does Scripture say? We're going to go down to Egypt, sweetie. Why? We're in a famine. Things are getting a little tough. We're going to go down to Egypt. All right? You're kind of a looker. All right? Here's what I would like for you to do. Tell that guy who's got the big army and the real sharp knives, you're my sister. What did the husband just do? He said, honey, sweetie pie, most righteous one, would you lie for me? You know what God said? It was counted unto her as righteousness because she was obedient to her husband. Well, wait a minute, she sinned. Abraham dealt with that. That's Abraham's responsibility. Let me ask you a question. Is he the same yesterday, today, or just Old Testament versus New Testament? So when you see the woman, well, but Terry, I'm just I'm telling you, I don't care what your experience is. If the experience goes against God's word, which is true, All right, now I need you to think with me because I'm about to share with you. This is the, the passion that you find in me. Okay, now grab this, what we just looked at. This is a foundational truth of existence. Okay, and the vastness of that truth. Okay, now ask yourself a question. Is Jesus inferior to God? Is he? No, roles were different, right? Okay, when Adam was in the process of trying to name a whole bunch of animals, okay, and was probably running out of names. I know how men are. I mean, it's like me coming up with a new church name. Okay, we'll call it Bob. Well, we call it the first church of giraffe or something. Okay, but do you see what I'm getting at? God says, Adam, you need not a slave, not an employee. You need a Helpmate. So question, are women inferior to men? Roles are different. Amen? Right. The roles are different. Absolutely. Okay, now then, we got that all settled. We're all in agreement. I want you to think about this. Oh, man. In the truest sense of holy writ, I, okay, and you could put you in here, I, as a member of the church, am I inferior to Christ, who is the Lord and the head of the church? Interesting concept, isn't it? <laughs> My wife, what is the answer? I just gave you the foundation. What's the basis? The design stated. God says you are join heirs with Christ. In the truest sense, now think about this, in the truest sense, as a member of the church, are you inferior to Christ? Some of you ain't buying that. That's fine. Biblically, in the truest sense, absolutely. When, G, when God looks upon Terry, what does he see? Is there an inferiority? No. Different role though, huh? Different role. We are one in Christ. Father, I want them to be one like you and I are. You get that? And people say, why do you get so excited and sound like you're yelling? Grab a hold of that. Do you not understand that? Think about the stupid stuff we pursue thinking it's going to do what for you? I am a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ who spoke existence into being. What does this world offer me? It's mine. It offers me nothing. Look at how we live. Well, I need to get a job. I need overtime. I need a new car. I need old car. I need this. I... Do you understand who you are in union with? 
Do you live in the power that only holds existence together? Or do you really believe you're bringing something to this show? We are one in Christ. If the unity is there, we only preserve it. I just don't know how to be a slave. You're right. You're right. But Jesus said, wash their feet. Why? Follow me. Why? We are one. That's that phrase, my email. In Him. I'm in Him. Do you understand that? Do you grasp that? That sets me free. I don't, I, I've had the most awful two years of ministry I've ever had in my life. And you know what? There's times when I just want to quit. I want, I'm just going to go sit someplace. And all I can hear in my skull is, You are in Him. And then I tell him, hurry up and crucify me, would you? God the Father says, I am a joint heir with Christ and that Christ lives in me and it is only that I have a place of submission unto him. I am no way, no child of God is inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ. But your role is different. I don't know about you guys. That makes me just want to hang off the ceiling. I don't understand that. I can't comprehend it. You know what? I can find myself doing it. Why? Why in the world, Lord, would you do that? Why? You are joint heirs. You, I no longer call you servants because the servants don't know what the master wants, does he? He says, but I call you friends. He says, you are literally children of God, you are saints. You are called out ones. You are most high ones. Do you understand that? Do you live like that? Someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to be exactly like him. Okay? But right now, my role is just a tad bit different. And you better be thankful because if I'm not dying for your sins. <laughs> The position that God has designed. It's God's design. It's God's will. I taught that Friday night at a cowboy camp. It is God's will. What? That you honor those who have authority over you in the Lord. And that you esteem them highly. Not because of who they are, but for what they're doing. What is it they're doing? God says, I designed this person for a role. You need to admonish the unruly. You need to strengthen the weak hearted, the faint hearted. You need to encourage the faint hearted and strengthen the weak. You need to be patient with everybody. You need to rejoice always. You need to be thankful for everything. And to do all that, you better be praying without ceasing. Why? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Wow! Why? The roles are different. The roles are different. The church has to be submissive to Jesus Christ. Why? God designed it that way. Christ was obedient as a son. He was submitted to the Father and gave us redemption. And he says, now, deny yourself. Take up your cross and what? Follow me. Follow me. Take up your position. Take up your role of submission. Of submission. You're not your own, Paul said. You've been bought and paid for. Peter said, you have been bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A lamb unspot, unblemished. Follow me. If you want to deny the middle one there, then you need to deny the first and the third. You deny the middle one, then understand that Christ is not the head over men. If you deny the middle one, then understand that Jesus Christ is not submitted to God the Father. And you don't want that one. You know why? I, can, I made a little note here. 
Not even an argument. That's silly. That's silly. All I can think of is that little, little note here I got from Linsky. Shakespeare. He quoted Shakespeare. Full of sound and fury and simply nothing. And I see that today. Women say, well, you don't understand my husband. You know you don't understand my God. You don't understand his design. Okay. Stating the principle. Subordinate. <clears throat> submission and authority. Paul safeguards it from being cruel, from being selfish, by showing the Father. By showing the Father. He shows the Father. He says, here's the Father, here's the Son. This is the relationship, and it's totally related in love. In love. Men, if you truly love your wife, you will take the position of authority in the marriage. Woman, if you truly love your husband, you will take the position of submission. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm an imitator of the Apostle Paul. That's chapter 11, verse 1. We are one with Christ. We're one with His church. And if you think about that for a second... It's sacrificial in its character, isn't it? And its very being is sacrificial, isn't it? Okay, now I have to ask you a question. And we'll close with this thought. What about the relationship between a man and a woman? It is completely sacrificial in its character. Why? Is there a difference between a Christian and the Lord Jesus Christ in its essence? No. No. So why would I live in mediocrity? Why would I live in mediocrity? Why would I not be sacrificial? Why not? And what? What did Jesus not be sacrificially? Rich young ruler came to Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've done that. Honor your parents. I've done that. I've done them ten things. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. What did the rich young ruler do? Walked away sad. Why? What was the limit of Jesus' sacrifice? What was the limit? What, what was the boundaries he put up? None. None. Okay? Are you a joint heir? Then fulfill your role. Fulfill your role. Fulfill your role. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. I give you the praise for the amazement of, that you continue to show me in this text. Father, uh, I beg your forgiveness now because I know that there's times that I don't want to be so passionate and yet, Father, I always just burst out and now I understand why. Thank you for that passion. Father, may I never be ashamed of it again. My Lord, my Savior, I am your joint heir. Father, so are these precious people. Father, may we, may we receive our roles. May we accept our roles. May we bow our roles with joy in our hearts and fulfillment in our hearts and understand with grateful hearts what it is to be your children. What it is to be a man. What it is to be a woman. What it is to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you for what you've shown me. Thank you for what you've shown my brothers and sisters. Thank you for what you have done in our lives. Father, thank you for what you lay before us. To your praise and to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.